Hi. Hey, let's, let's just put some things out there real quick. First, um, I'm clearly not Ken. I'm not nearly as good looking. Um, I was caught in as backup, which was a joy, and um, I'm glad to be teaching. A couple other things. Um, I always fear when I, when I come up and I speak at, at a church or something like that, uh, that there becomes a disconnect, right? That, that I become the guy up here and you become the guy down there. And I don't know if you noticed, but I just walked from down there. Um, and so I don't want this to be me speaking at you, but me speaking to you as part of you, that you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. You're, I'm you guys. And so I'm actually really honored uh, to get to speak to you, to encourage you. I hope, I hope encourage you from the word. The other thing is, too, uh, any authority that comes today is not coming from me. It is coming from God's word and God's word alone. And so uh, please take his word as the authority, not my words. Um, and so uh, that's where authority comes from. And so as I share, we'll do that. So how about we just dig in, get into it together. Uh, hopefully this will be really uh, encouraging to you guys. Um, and, and we'll kind of go from there. So basically this talk that I'm about to do comes from this series that we did at Crew about connecting with God. And the first one, went, really what we wanted to do was help the students like connect with God. Know them better, understand them, how do you get to them? And so we obviously, we, we started with his word and the Bible and the necessity of that and how it reveals God. And then we moved to prayer and how we can talk and communicate with God and that he actually responds and then finally, uh, we're going to kind of end of this series with this talk, which was connecting with God through community. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about community. And uh, I've experienced a lot of community in my life, sports teams, as I'm sure you have, friends groups, clubs, work um, groups. But when I look back over my life, there was one community that radically transformed my life. And that was my Bible study from my freshman year of college to my senior year of college. Uh, these were men that I did life with for four years. Um, three years ago, one of my dear friends, Ty, passed away due to brain cancer. And uh, due to that tragedy, his death actually brought us all back together again. And as we were sitting there reflecting on kind of that season in college together, that season back then, uh, one of my other friends, Austin, likened our college experience to the Fellowship of the Rings. Now, um, yeah, if you haven't seen the movies or read the books, like, can I just encourage you? Like, you should. Like, it's so good. Tolkien, uh, believer, is uh, making allegories, and it's just wonderful. But it's also just really fun. Um, but the fellowship, if you don't know of it, the fellowship was this group of nine people. They're elves and dwarves. But basically nine people uh, that gathered together who committed and banded together to attempt to carry out this monumental task. They had to take this little evil ring into the heart of enemy territory and cast it um, into this mountain to destroy it, right? Which you may be like, that's a weird book movie. Trust me, it's really good, trust me. Uh, it's really, really good. But for a season, this Fellowship of the Ring, they, they grouped together, and, and for a season they traveled through great trials and, and traverse travesties. And, and, and at the end of the book, they all go their own separate ways, right? Through the whole book, it's, they're battling together, they get it, and at the end of the book, they just, just to the ends of the earth. Um, but they're forever changed by their friendship. They're forever changed by this fellowship. And so Austin, my friend, pointed, as we were reflecting to our time in college, and he likened us to the Fellowship of a Ring, that we spent four years going 
in life together, going to battle together, struggling together, striving together. And while we now are literally living in the four corners of the earth, we are all forever affected by those years that we had together. And I've often wondered what made that community so powerful in my life. And so what I hope is I'm going to hope to share a few things that I've concluded about community as, we've looked, as we look at Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And that's where we're going to be. It's Colossians 3, 1 through 17. No prep time. So no, nothing on the screen, which means, uh, well, I hope we do this anyway. But like, if you'd be willing to open your Bibles and flip there, as I said, this is, this is what we need more than what I have to say. Uh, it's Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If you guys would flip there. There's nothing more powerful, better than God's word. Um, I know we say it, we hear it from the, the pulpit all the time, but it's just so blessed that God would choose to reveal to us his character through this. And so whenever we get the chance to open it, what a blessing to hear God speak. So I'm going to, it's a chunk of verses, so I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to kind of like work our way through this, okay? I'm going to read it all, 1 through 17, um, starting in 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on this earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves are also are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deed, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. For there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in the richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. This morning, what I want to do is I want to help you see that Christ is the source and the purpose of our community, and how we live out that community can help us connect with God. So let me pray, and we'll dig in. Lord, um, I just pray that you would be in the midst of this. Um, What a joy to teach your word, to encourage uh, my dear friends, and I pray that it would be true and honest, Lord, that your word would go out and bear fruit in each one of our hearts. Um, And so, Lord, would you just be with me as I speak, that it would be your words. And would you be with them as they hear, and in their hearts to receive your word. In your name, amen. Okay, so just a little background, because context is important. 
um, Colossians, right? Previous chapters, specifically chapter 1, right? Has this beautiful Christology, right? One of the, the, the foremost Christologies in all of uh, Scripture. Christology being the study of Christ. It's just working through it. It's beautiful. And so he's, he's kind of pouring out Christ. He's kind of reflecting. Paul is reflecting on Christ. And then we get to chapter 3. And what he's doing is he's taking this Christology that he's built up. And he's applying it to our lives, and most specifically in chapter 3, he's applying it to our community, or the church community. And so if we understand this passage in this community, uh, this, this, in community uh, there's two foundational things we must understand. Two foundational things we must understand about our relationship with Christ. First, is that Christ is our life. And second, that Christ is our identity. Christ is our life. And Christ is our identity. And if Christ is our, because of these things, Christ is the source of Christian community. He is the source of Christian community. Christ is our life. Look at, uh, 3, 1 through 4, right? Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. What does that even mean? Christ is our life. We have to understand our positional truth. We need to be reminded of our positional truth. Um, Before Christ, we were dead. With Christ, we are alive. Right? Ephesians 2 put it this way, right? We were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. 2 Corinthians, right, says, Because he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Right? We deserve the death and sin, but we got the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. And if we do not believe this with every fiber of our being, then the joy and hope hereafter will be unattainable. And so we need to recognize that Christ is our life. But also Christ is our life and Christ is our identity. We have to believe, as believers, Christ is our identity. Come with me to verse 11. It says, uh, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but all, but Christ is all and in all. Do you see what this verse is saying? When we have Christ, we no longer are identified by our old identifications. Christ becomes our foremost identity. You see, we see people through identities, right? For example, I identify as an Ohio State fan, right? And I I love me some Buckeyes, now, depending on who you are, there are different reactions to that, right? And now, identities, they're kind of naturally dividing and uniting, right? Identities aren't all bad. They help us unite together around common factors. For example, right, up here in the land of maize and blue and green and white, uh, it's nice to know where my people are at. So when I see students like Madison or Pastor Turner or Pastor Pierpont, I'm just saying, noting the uh, chain of command there. Uh, I know where my people are at, right? I knew I was in the right place when Turner said he was an Ohio State fan. I was like, here we go. It's a unity from identity, right? A unity from identity. But those same identities that can unite us can also divide us, right? They call, uh, they draw dividing lands, lines in the sand. And often what we do is we drop the identities that unite us to pick up the ones that divide us. Because our identities represent us, and we represent our identities. You see, we represent what we identify with. For example, I have found that as I share that I'm a Buckeye fan, 
most people quickly categorize me as one of those fans. Um, because while most people who have met a Buckeye fan meet a prideful, pompous, often inebriated version of that fan. And that drunk guy at the stadium wearing an Ohio State shirt identifies as a Buckeye fan. But now, as he tells you how much your team sucks, cusses out the rest, and is otherwise inconsiderate, he represents Buckeye fans in the entire Ohio State football team. We represent what we identify with. Similarly, if I, as a Christian, if I identify as a Christian, what I do represents Christ. They don't just see me, they see Jesus. They don't just see you, they see Jesus. This is a powerful truth that can be both negative, but also extremely, wonderfully, beautifully positive. Think about the positive of this. Genesis says that God made us in his image. Every person bears an image of God and has value. But then as believers, we have Christ. And in us, we can reflect him to each other. Think about the implications in connecting to God. What better way to know God than to spend time with his people who are his image bearers and Christ's representatives? Therefore, depending on how we act in community can cause us to grow closer to God, or depending on how we act in community can push us further away from God. And so let's continue to look at how we can rightly bear the image of God and help others connect with him as we spend time together in community. Colossians 3 is chocked full of amazing insights into the interactions about how community works um, and should look. Um, I don't have enough time. So we're going to look at four and a half points about community. Um, and, and we'll go there. The first point is that people are sinful. The second point is that we are all called to bear and forgive. The third is that we're called to love. And finally, the community is centered around scripture and worship. So, Paul says, if we want good community, we first need to put off or lay aside our old self. We need to put off or lay aside our old self. When talking about community, there's this crucial premise. People are sinful. Right? We're not perfect. And more often than not, we tend to be self-centered. And I won't go into defending this position right now. Uh, Romans 3 is a great verse if you want to kind of ponder that. Um, or if you really just don't believe me, ask your spouse or your sibling. People are sinful. So if we're selfish people by nature, what happens when you put a bunch of selfish people together and call it community? <laughs> well, yeah. And you know what? Our church is no greater. That means in this church there is conflict. Right now there's conflict. In a season of pastoral search... There's even more conflict. Can we just, right now, come together right now, be willing to put down the walls and admit that none of us are perfect and we're making mistakes and be willing to, to come together? So what happens when you put sinful people together? Well, I'll tell you what happens. My junior year of college, I lived with six other guys. Hear that right? Six college guys in one house together. Um, so uh, with that many male eagles, let's just say conflict ran amok, right? It was just crazy. But one of my favorite things was the kitchen, right? The kitchen. No matter what, no matter how hard we tried, 
The sink was always full and the dishwasher was always left with clean dishes in it. I don't know how this happens. I swear, we had a, a hidden eighth roommate because it was never anyone's dishes. Who did it this time? Well, it wasn't my dishes. Never anyone's dishes. I mean, we were like trying to put up spy cameras to catch who it was that was doing this. And the reality was, that was just a little bit of each of us. But isn't that natural? Isn't that natural? We want someone to blame. We want to know whose fault it is. Because we just simply cannot believe that it would be my fault. And this is the opposite of what we do, what we're called to do. Read Colossians 3.13. Again, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has complained against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. We're called to bear and forgive. I want to talk about forgiving in a second, but first I I want to look at this idea of bearing with one another. Um, Sorry, holding in a joke that is really bad, dad joke. Okay, um, to bear means to deal with something difficult, right? To bear means dealing with something difficult. So often, our first instinct is kind of rip, to just rip somebody who's just annoying us for their annoying idiosyncrasies. Or maybe it's just to, to, to ignore that, go find somebody and talk to them about that person behind their back. Right? But Christ's example tells us to put these things aside if they don't really matter. Right? He's saying, bear, bear. Put it aside if it doesn't really matter. You shouldn't be dividing a friendship over things that you can easily move past. Examples of the way someone sings worship. Okay, hopefully people in front of me, the Vidas, have been moving and bearing past my singing um, over these years. What car maybe somebody drives, or maybe somebody saying bro way too much. Again, that's me. Um, let's not divide friendship over those things. Let's call it what it is and move past it. But with that said, if there's something is significant enough, big enough, that it needs to be addressed, then I encourage us, let us address it. Let us not wait, let us address it. Some common tactics that you should not use. Rule number one, tactic number one, gossip about it to others. Okay, rule of thumb that I love to live by. If they can't do anything about it, they don't need to know about it. Go talk to the person. We spend more time talking to other people than talking to the person that's going to fix the situation. So tactic number one, don't gossip about it. Gossip, uh, uh, tactic number two, don't push it down and hide it. This is where bitterness grows and greater issues just wait to pour out. And the third tactic, don't just ignore it. This is how friendships die. And no one is given a chance to grow. No one is given a chance to grow. Instead, what we need to remember is Christ is our example. Christ is our example. We need to reflect Christ to one another. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We were not perfect when Christ took our sin. We do not need to be perfect when we forgive each other. So when something is bothering us, let us bring it to the attention of the other person. Let us secondly own our part in the conflict. Because I firmly believe that conflict is never only one person's fault. Look, it takes two to tango, it takes two to play chess, and it takes two to fight. Okay? So bring it to the other person's attention. Own your part in the conflict. 
And then third, forgive them. Let me play this out for you, okay? My friend Paul and I are very opinionated, stubborn men. And so as we lived next to each other and then uh, with each other for three years, we got into our fair number of, uh, let's call them spats. At this point, I've forgotten most of what they were over. I'm sure they were very important. But every time, they really came down to, I was right and he was wrong. Okay, well, maybe we both thought we were right and the other one was wrong. But it would lead to shouting at times, frustrations, and often separating for a period of time. But every time, I was grateful for those conflicts. Grateful. Yeah, you heard me. I said grateful for them. Because every time after a while, one of us would walk over to the other one, sit down in the room together and confess our part of the argument. The other would admit their side and we would try and understand one another's perspectives as we forgave each other. And every time our friendship grew closer and closer. And now, now my wife can watch us argue so heavily that she's wondering if she's watching the very end of our friendship. And then watch us as we hug and Love each other minutes later. Because we know, because of Christ, our friendship can weather the storms of our conflicts. Because of Christ, our friendship can weather the storms of our conflicts. And I recognize this is hard. I recognize you don't want to. Because I don't want to. I know that things have been said, or done, or insinuated, that have hurt. Probably hurt deeply. And I know you don't want to because of the fear of being rejected by the other person. Or forgiveness is going to cost you something. But Colossians addresses this with the third point. Look at verse 14. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Paul calls it a bond of perfection. And every time I hear this, I cannot get this example out of my head of a resident table. Okay, so my brother-in-law just made one. Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about with the resin table. He's lined up all these bottle caps, okay, on this table. And uh, it's a pretty uneven surface. And it would have never worked as a table because all the bottle caps are just sitting there. And, you know, it's uneven and all that stuff. And, and then I come back a few months later, and what he's done is he's poured this stuff, this resin. And it's just filled in all over those bottle caps. And it's hardened to this clear, smooth surface. Right? It's almost like this hard plastic. And it's now this like awesome, beautiful looking piece of furniture. And I always picture that love as that resin. Right? Love is that thing that when we pour in to the messiest of situations, it redeems it into something beautiful. So when all else fails, let us love one another. And love just doesn't go to those who love you either, right? I'm not talking about like, hey, let's love the people who we, like, kind of love us. I'm talking about love everyone. Let it saturate your life and your relationships. This is the love of agape. It's the love that, a Greek word that loves, indicates basically a love in spite of, not a love because of. So love your spouse in spite of the mess they leave, leave in the kitchen. Love a friend in spite of the selfish things they do. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ in spite of what they said. Because when you forgive, 
you reflect God, who when we confess our sins, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us. And when you love in spite of, not just because of, you reflect Christ, who while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love and enjoy. Romans 12.15 Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Wasn't part of my talk, but it's really, really good. Love and enjoy one another. Live life together. Side note, if you want some more on community, Romans 12 is amazing, and you should read that too. Um, Finally, in verse 15 and 16, we see that community centered on Scripture and worship. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. A community where Christ is the example is also a community where Christ is the center. A community where Christ is the example is also a community where Christ is the center. Where you share what God is teaching you, wrestling with God together, praising Him together, but rather a community where we seek... Sorry, I missed something there. Yeah, it's a community where we seek God's Word together, where we look for where God is showing up in our lives and celebrate what He is doing, or we fall on our knees to pray together because it feels like God is absent in our life. So I loved my community in college because, well, oh shoot, I lost myself again. I loved my community in college because I would come home, sitting outside my door would be my friend Paul, the one I talked about earlier, waiting to ask me a million questions from what he was reading about the Bible. Or one night, junior year, uh, a bunch of us had a bunch of questions about eschatology, the study of uh, the earth's culminations and Christ's return. And so we had a night of eschatology, watching and discussing the various positions. Every Friday was PGIF, praise God, it's Friday. And we would go to a little chapel on campus, and Ty would lead us and others in worship. And our rule was to ask, how are you doing today? And to always follow up with, what has God been teaching you? Christ was our source, he was our purpose, and he was our example. He was the center of our community. And can I be honest with you guys? And this, this part is complete my, completely my opinion. But I think community like this requires more than seeing each other twice a week. I have no idea how to do this, how to make this happen, what this looks like. So to me, this, this is me coming with a, not coming with a solution, but hoping to stir up a conversation. I attend and am a member of this church because I love you. And I love the people who are here. And I want to do life with you. Now, now I kind of clarified that and that I just really like you guys. Let's wrap some things up. Um, I want to look at the context with which we are supposed to experience and live out this community, this radical community. And verse 17 puts it pretty clearly. Whatever you do, do in the name of God. And not only does verse 17 tell us to live this out everywhere, no matter what we are doing, but a little bit later in chapter 4, Paul clarifies with who we should experience this community. He says in 5 through 6 of chapter 4, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay. Christian community is for both the insider 
and the outsider. We should be wise in our interactions and live out the example Christ has set for us to those who don't know Christ. Christian community is not an attempt to form Christian bubbles, but rather it's a dynamic way of living out an example of what God has done in our lives. The purpose of Christian community is so that Christ may be known. Its purpose is to help others connect with God. So you see, Christ is not only the source of community. He is not only the purpose of community. He is how we are to live out community and how he will help us connect with God, which leads us to our application of this text. Some questions to ponder. Are we a church, a community like this? Are we? I'm not saying no, just so you know. I'm just asking the question. Stir the pot. Does our Christian community make Christ known? Again, not saying yes, no, just stirring the pot. My evaluation is actually that we're probably experiencing something in the middle of this. And so let's look at ourselves and ask, how can I, how can you be a catalyst for a community that draws our eyes to Christ? I will never forget the men who I walked with in college. We still walk together to this day. We stay in touch, even though one lives in Columbus, Ohio, another in China. I'm here in Michigan, and another's in Philadelphia, and another just moved to Cleveland from St. Louis this past year, and yet another is at home with our Lord in heaven. You know what? When we see each other, we don't skip a beat. When we see each other, we say, how are you doing? And what has God been teaching you today? Let me pray. Lord, um, I pray that this your word is the encouragement that we've needed to hear. I pray that it was the encouragement that it was in, that it was for me to know what community was to to be, to have found it in this church, and to strive for it all the more as you renew us and strengthen us with your spirit. And so, Lord, make us a church that reflects you to one another. Make us a church that makes you known and makes you glorified in the way that we live, not with one another alone, but with those outside of this church. And may people know you because of us and that you would use us. Thank you so much for sending Christ to be our example and our power. In your name we pray. Amen.